Costa Rica, a slip of a Central American nation, boasts beautiful beaches, picturesque parks, and one of the highest biodiversity rates in the world. But Costa Rica is more than a stunning landscape. It is a beacon for how to battle one of the most entrenched, bankrolled, and destructive forces on our planet, fossil fuel corporations. For nearly 20 years, Costa Rican campaigners kept their country free from fossil fuel exploration, let alone extraction, and with it became global leaders in the struggle for our air, water, and land. In short, our very future. That is until 2022, when Costa Rica elected Rodrigo Chavez Robles to the presidency and possibly put their precious ecosystem at risk. Para los que dicen que extraer gas destruye la madre naturaleza y no se puede hacer ecológicamente, yo tengo una palabra, Noruega. People say to me, you gotta be crazy. How can you sing in times like these? Don't you read the news? Don't you know the score? How can you sing? And so many others grieve By way of a reply I say a fool such as I Who sees his song as somewhere to begin Welcome to Season 3 of Words to Win By. I'm Anat Shankar Osorio. I develop, test, and deploy political messaging to help candidates, organizers, and activists around the world win progressive victories. Today's story from Costa Rica winds us through the realities of messaging and campaigning, from maintaining an impressive win to confronting a serious setback and staying committed to secure freedom from the perils of petrol. After various tries throughout the century, in the late 90s, Costa Rica took its last shot at fossil fuel exploration. The government granted an American corporation, Harkin Energy, rights to explore for oil. This prospect would disrupt local businesses and destroy lands in rural communities. So local businesses, activists, and civic organizations banded together to form Acción de Lucha Antipetrolera, ADELA, Adela drafted a declaration opposing the concessions and advocated for a moratorium against drilling. The declaration gained national attention, and Adela ramped up their campaign efforts. After a long battle between activists, Harkin, and the Costa Rican Supreme Court, Adela was successful in putting a stop to oil exploration. In 2002, the group convinced Costa Rican leaders to declare a ban on fossil fuel extraction and exploration through executive decree. But a decree isn't a permanent guarantee. Maintaining this win required constant vigilance, creative campaigning, and expansive coalition building. Work led and spread by CR Libre de Perforación, a network of almost 200 businesses and civil society groups fighting for Costa Rica's future. CR Libre de Perforación helped maintain this leave-it-in-the-ground policy. Each administration extended the decree 
with the previous president doing so through 2050. One of the leaders of that campaign is Carolina Sanchez, a communication strategist who specializes in energy and sustainability. Can you explain what CR Libre de Perforación means for listeners? Sure. Costa Rica Libre de Perforación means a country free from perforation. And I know perforation might not be the, the first word you think of when, when you talk about exploration or exploitation of fossil fuels. But it pretty much means that Costa Rica should continue to be a free country from, from these in, endeavors in fossil fuels. And what was the objective of the campaign? Who were you trying to move and what were you trying to get them to believe or to do? So Costa Rica has historically, or at least for the last um, 20 years, have had a moratorium on exploration and exploitation. It is a moratorium from a decree, so any president can change it at any time. So the purpose of our campaign was actually to give that moratorium a better judicial uh, or legal security. And what we were trying to do was to get a law or a bill approved in Congress that would forever ban any kind of exploration of, or exploitation of fossil fuels so that it, w- it wouldn't depend on what happens or who is currently or at any other point in government. Who were you trying to move and what were you trying to get them to do? The theory of change was mostly focused on moving other sectors of society, like companies and civil organizations, to pressure Congress. So I think that's where uh, most of our theory of change was. And they usually are very affected or change their, their minds or their opinions based on how much pressure they have from different sectors. So we needed to put pressure from the outside um, for them to see not only that a lot of other sectors of the society were expecting them to do this. So we did it mostly through... Um, media or to, through press, but also moving um, industries and specific areas of business to pressure directly in Congress. Oftentimes when we're talking about an environmental issue, there's this tendency to pit the environment against the economy and to make people believe there's this zero-sum happening where either we're going to exploit our natural resources so that we can have jobs and we can have money and we can have development, or we're going to go do this environmental business and, you know, hug trees and be poor. I'm exaggerating, but not by much. I mean, this is the nonsense that that gets constructed from the opposition to try to hide their actual agenda, which is just to make money. How did you deal with that environment v. economy? How did you reach out to businesses and sort of what was your pitch to them? There have been for at least the last two decades that I can think of, but maybe more, a lot of businesses that understand that sustainability does not go against profit. I think that something that is really useful when it comes to talking to businesses is usually showing other businesses examples. Right, A lot of businesses maybe or business owners do not want to take the risk first and they actually take the leap when they see that it works for somebody else. And then there's another really important part that is that 
Tourism is really important in Costa Rica. So the tourism sector, nobody can deny that is one of the industries that produce more income for the country in general, but also distributes more income. And so working with the tourism sector also helps us a lot to have a good amount of companies and businesses already aligned with our purpose since they clearly understand that our image and the image that Costa Rica has and the conservation efforts that we have are extremely important for their business. It's not that much of how we convince them. Is I would say that we pretty much use those that we're already convinced to call upon others, other businesses. We call that engaging your base in order to persuade the middle. And now looking at how you all engaged and chose to message to the broader public, what was your strategy there? I think you're going to like it because it's again using our bases to move the middle. There's a really important youth organization against climate change in Costa Rica that actually does a wonderful job in bringing young people from all over the country because Costa Rica was already of this mindset of conservation. So we kind of had these different areas, youth, the, the nonprofit environmental organizations and co-ops of different sectors, including tourism, coffee, and other areas that we knew were completely aligned with our, with our plans. So we used them as, as the mass of the movement, so to say, and that helped us move other, other sectors of the society too. How did you all decide what the messaging was going to be? We ran some uh, testing and did some investigation on what people thought about the idea. And so we decided early on in the campaign that it had to be all as positive and uh, all in the sense of proposition of not what we should not do, but what we should do and what we should continue to do. And a lot of, of what we were trying to position to is the fact that the country has the reputation that, that it has because a lot of different people in the country has, have worked for that over the past several decades. So it's not that Costa Rica is what it is because of the governments or the politicians we have had. Costa Rica is what it is because of the people that work every day maintaining different parks or, by, or working with biodiversity, even developing sustainable businesses. Uh, we've been known internationally for our renewable electricity. And we tried to build up on that and sort of use the message that it, back in the day, some people make the right decisions and they were visionary at the time to make the right decisions as to how our electricity should be and that we should honor that. What Carolina is highlighting is a feast of principles of persuasive communication, establishing and cementing social proof among businesses and people alike, making it clear that environmental protection is integral to Costa Rican identity and reinforcing it as a social norm. Developing an affirmative, say what you're for message, even in the midst of a heated battle against a formidable foe and making the target audiences the agents of creating this desirable future. To paraphrase Carolina, 
It's not because of governments or politicians that Costa Rica boasts its natural wonders. It is because of the people making the right decisions that put Costa Rica on the map. But of course, a hashtag and an impressive array of partners does not an entire campaign make. CR Libre de Perforación developed and deployed all available tools to transmit its message. Among them, a campaign anthem, Yo Prefiero Mi Costa Rica, performed by national artists Fabrizio Walker, Nakuri, Kumari Sawyers, Esteban Monge, and Bartos Brenes. What the song tells us is, get out of here, exploitation. Let's be free of perforation. Oil Corporation, get out of here. Get out of here. The campaign also made ads to encourage people to keep Costa Rica free of fossil fuels. Among them, La Bola Está en la Cancha, or The Ball is in the Court. This depicts images of drilling and floods, in contrast with the country's forests, rich biodiversity, and oceans. The ad states that while the country may be small, the resources are what make it great and encourages Costa Ricans to protect their incomparable riches and defend their previous decisions. Hoy, el mundo ya no es el mismo. Atravesamos varias crisis mundiales que nos pueden hacer dudar de nuestras decisiones. Hoy en Costa Rica tenemos un gran reto. Debemos recordarle al mundo que aunque somos un país pequeño, son nuestros recursos lo que nos hace grandes. A pesar de las circunstancias, nos corresponde proteger nuestras incomparables riquezas para que nuestra naturaleza y las energías limpias sigan siempre siendo prioridades en Costa Rica. The ad ends, the entire planet is watching and the ball is in our court, with a clip of a Costa Rican soccer player scoring. The ad doesn't say stop drilling or ban fossil fuels. Instead, it tells viewers to prioritize nature and take pride in leading globally. The campaign had a full court press strategy getting featured across national news channels and in international sources. They engaged celebrities like Jane Fonda and Mark Ruffalo to get more views on their social media posts. CR Libre pushed lawmakers at all levels, getting seven municipalities to prohibit extraction. The campaign displayed art installations around the country, on beaches and in front of government buildings. As Carolina mentioned, youth organizers are key to this campaign. Leaders like Judith Pereira. My name is Judith Pereira. I am from Costa Rica. I am 23 years old. I'm a student. I study international relations in the National University. As a Girl Scout, Judith first fell in love with and also saw the dangers happening to Costa Rica's lush nature. Judith participated in forums and cleanups, but she wanted to do more. That's when she discovered Fridays for Future. The Fridays for Future movement began in August 2018, 
After 15-year-old Greta Thunberg and others sat in front of the Swedish parliament every school day for three weeks to protest the lack of action on the climate crisis. This inspired Judith and her friends, and they began a chapter in Costa Rica in 2019. So when you started to get involved with Fridays for Future, both the global movement and kicking it off within Costa Rica itself, what were you hoping to have happen? We were trying to make people to be conscious that this is a problem that goes beyond us. It's not about uh, what we are doing every single day. It's about the decisions that we are taking as country every single day. The system is still blaming the people. The people who is doing their best to survive every single day. So if we demand to the Congress to take actions and be aware of what they are doing, we can make a change. We should have a law that forbids fossil fuels forever. Fridays for the Future was a significant first step. But the movement wasn't an ideal fit for Costa Rican youth. Students could not always skip school for protests, and the movement alienated those in more rural areas. So UDIP co-founded Red de Juventudes y Cambio Climático de Costa Rica, or Costa Rican Youth and Climate Change Network. The organization has led marches in front of Congress, conducted talks to educate on the dangers of climate change, and connected youth from across the country. The movement has garnered enough momentum and strength to put real political pressure on the government to protect the environment. Much of the group's success comes from deliberately calibrated messaging. I have been thinking and applying this for a very long time that, first of all, we do not create the climate crisis, right? And the other message about this is that fossil fuels are... Yeah, los combustibles fósiles son del siglo pasado uh, y es ir completamente contra la visión de Costa Rica Costa Rica a nivel internacional eh, se ha proyectado como uno de los países con mejores condiciones ambientales que se preocupan más por el ambiente que logramos revertir nuestra deforestación sin embargo nuestros líderes políticos están actuando en el lado opuesto se están, están retrocediendo muchísimos años atrás what Udit is explaining is that their messaging boldly declared that fossil fuels are from a past century and run counter to the vision of Costa Rica. Costa Rica has projected an international image as one of the countries with the best environmental conditions that has reversed its deforestation. Nevertheless, political leaders are acting against this. They are taking us backwards many years. This message of past versus future seems especially apt for Udit's target audience, young people. It's also a strong counterpoint to what the opposition often claims, that fossil fuel exploration is development, it's the pathway to tomorrow's riches. And so, Udit and her colleagues are directly contesting a central narrative battle, what truly represents a desirable future. Yudit and her team have had big legislative wins, too. In 2020, Costa Rica's Legislative Assembly approved a law authorizing trawl fishing. And that was a mess because that, destroy, that completely destroys the ocean. When a law is approved by the Congress, then it has to be approved by the president. After the shock subsided, Yudit mobilized her team to action. 
They held marches in front of the president's house, urging him to disapprove the law. They invited different organizations and businesses to march at all hours, and they worked closely with the environmental minister. And he was saying, I'm going to do my job from the inside, and you do your job in the streets. And that day, I realized that what we were doing is effective, and that we have to keep doing that. We choose them, so they should be able to hear us. And if they are not hearing, if they are not hearing our emails, they are not hearing our letters, they are not hearing when we are going to uh, the Congress, they should hear when we are in the streets. After several days of marches, the president refused to sign the hazardous trawling law, and it went back to Congress, where it was ultimately tabled. This is why I have so much hope also in Costa Rica Libre Perforación, because I have seen that it works. I have seen that all the work we can do works. And while all of these impressive efforts have helped preserve Costa Rica's environment, including keeping it Libre de Perforación, this is sadly not the end of the story. Hey, y'all. I'm Erin Haynes, the host of The Amendment a brand new weekly podcast on gender, politics, and power brought to you by the 19th News and Wonder Media Network. You've probably heard the news that this election year, our democracy is at stake. On The Amendment, I'm breaking down what that actually means, specifically for the marginalized folks who depend on our democracy the most. This is a show that dives past the headlines and gets clear on the unfinished work of our democracy. Listen to The Amendment now, wherever you get your podcasts. In February of 2022, Costa Rica held presidential elections. The race was tough. None of the candidates obtained the needed 40% of votes to declare victory. So a runoff was held in April between the top two contenders. In one corner, there was Rodrigo Chavez, a former official of the World Bank and Minister of Finance with an anti-establishment reputation. In the other corner, was Jose Maria Figueres, an early leader in the Costa Rican climate change movement who advocated for low-carbon global economies and served as president in the 90s. Given Costa Rica's history, it seemed like Figueres would be the obvious choice, but that's not what happened. Rising poverty and unemployment, fueled by the COVID pandemic, which damaged the nation's tourism industry, left voters wanting change. Chavez was elected and quickly announced his openness to overturning the moratorium and inviting corporations to drill for gas. This obviously creates a whole new terrain for Carolina and her colleagues to navigate. With the change of presidency, also the whole Congress changed. And that meant that the relationships we had built in the previous administration in Congress were no longer there. So we also understood that the progress we had done with the, with the bills in Congress were, were going to have a setback. We took several months just talking to different stakeholders to building again relationships in Congress and finding again who were our allies and trying to understand also the new reality, because it also means that some companies, for example, mostly companies, were not going to be okay with going against the new president as much as they were okay with just going against the subject and not against a person or somebody promoting an idea. 
the first year of the president, uh, it really, the needle really didn't move much on this area. But this year, some um, organization and, and the union of chambers of industry, actually is what it is, um, made a public announcement that they were pushing the president to, to lift the moratorium and actually explore if there's natural gas in the country and use it. And now the president has actually spoken in favor of. So things got really heated up. We have a long road already walked and and have a lot of different um, allies, both nationally and internationally, to continue campaigning on this. And so what is your objective now, both in the short term and the long term? Is it still congressional codification? The objective of a law is still our main objective because that's that would be the biggest win we could possibly have since that will, will take away the power that currently the executive has in, in this subject. So that continues to be our main objective, although we had to think of new routes to get there through this new Congress. But we also took upon a new objective, which is try to stop the lift of the moratorium by sort of creating this barrier or this bigger front of companies and organizations and just regular people too that want to defend this image and reputation of the country that we've been talking about or the sustainability as a value uh, for the country. Judith is also confronting the obstacles posed by this new government. We have a really, really different um, context in here with Rodrigo Chavez because he's taking all the climate action down. He's he's not even talking about climate. In his first report as a president, he don't even mention about the environment. So we have a really, really uh, moment in here because also the office that we're in charge of climate change has been taken to the ground. There are no more people working in that in that place. They're just like one and is the minister, um, like one of the advisors from the minister. And the minister doesn't care about it, really. So what do you do in the face of that? And in particular, your lens, your focus as a young person that is organizing young people, what do you say to them? And how do you sustain their participation and not have them just think, well, fuck it, nothing's ever going to change. Let me just at least live my life. I think that's something that Costa Rican people has in common, that we all love going to nature. We all love our country because of that. It's really green. We have a lot of biodiversity. But we're not thinking about how we are going to preserve that. We're not thinking about why they are going to destroy them. So to invite people, we have been uh, positioning these kind of messages. <laughs> do you care about it? Get involved. There's something you can do. We were told as a kids that if we work hard and we put effort, however, our dreams are like in the middle of something called climate change. Our future is uncertain due to fossil fuels because Fossil fuels industry is still making stronger movements and is still uh, 
threat in Costa Rica. So if we need to guarantee those dreams, if we need to guarantee the life we want, we need to take fossil fuels out of the country, out of the world even. However, we need to start in here because in here we have that in advantage that we have never exploited them. So we don't have to let them in. Obviously, we'd all love a neat story with a happily ever after, and that's not this tale, especially because this fight continues within Costa Rica and everywhere beyond. I asked Carolina what lessons she would offer for the rest of us. I think that the most important one was something you just said, that this is usually not a short campaign is usually not an easy objective and therefore you have to be very aware of that and have a lot of patience and be very mindful of your emotional health and and the emotional health and physical health of everybody that works with you in this sort of campaigns I think that that's very important too because a lot of times situations that happen or you know somebody makes a comment in the press or somebody says something that is really that is not true at all and if you fall into the emotional part of of reacting to that you're gonna be burned out very fast in this type of fights strategy is the most important part so that you feel that you have an order on what you're doing because otherwise it can be very hectic Obviously, a flexible strategy because things can change uh, at any point. But having a strategy, trying to stick to it with the flexibility of knowing that sometimes things have to change and understanding that there's not a specific tactic of action that is going to get you that result. It's a combination of little things that will continue to grow your bases, will continue to get those uh, in the middle to understand your point and your arguments, and it's a process. And the last one, which I think that we are still working on that, is that you have to try to not talk to only those that already understand what you're saying. And I think that in that sense, we have found that culture and art, music, helps, helps us a lot to get to those other publics that do not care necessarily for that our scientific information. On this show, we have focused on many campaigns after the win, but Se Ere Libre de Perforación is still enmeshed in the fight. And in truth, that's the realistic picture of what it means to campaign for a more just, prosperous, equitable, and sustainable world. Even if your candidate gets elected, your referendum passes, your policy becomes law, there's always a next thing to secure, a next foe to face, or in this case, a significant setback to confront. There's lots for us to learn from Costa Rica's ongoing efforts to address destructive fuels and the devastation they wreak on all of our countries. Instead of reciting stats and repeating nightmarish doom scenarios, accurate as they are, they leaned into national pride and identity to get folks to act. Indeed, it's often not the opposition itself that thwarts us, but rather cynicism. It's not so much that people doubt our ideas are right, but rather they cannot believe our ideas are possible, 
So why bother jumping aboard our campaign train to failure? This is where the more far-fetched our endeavor seems, the more we must make it seem a matter not of if, but when. In essence, with their hashtag and their rousing, the ball is in our court advertising, and their focus on youth mobilizing youth, they implied that a future free from fossil fuels is not only possible, it's ours for the taking. They built a massive and diverse coalition, which, thanks to Costa Rica's green tourism industry, hindered the tired, quote, environment versus economy, unquote, talking point the opposition relies on to scare people into accepting the status quo. Finally, and arguably most vital, campaigners in Costa Rica are battling climate change without making it the central villain. We commonly hear that climate change is raising sea levels, climate change is fueling destructive weather, thereby personifying what is actually an intangible phenomenon. You can't send protesters to climate change's house nor headquarters. You can't organize an email or social media campaign at climate change. In our understandable zeal to prove to skeptics that climate change is indeed occurring and due to human activity, we have made it an actor and eclipsed from view the true villains, the fossil fuel CEOs and the politicians they pay for. As we continue to confront fossil fuel corporations where we live and push our own elected leaders to move us forward, not imperil our lives, let's keep an eye on Costa Rica as they remain committed to be free. Words to Win By is a Wonder Media Network production. The show is produced by Carmen Borca Carrillo, Brittany Martinez, and Edie Allard. Our editor is Grace Lynch with editorial support from Liz Brown and Lucy Jones. Thanks to Anthony Torres and Global Gas and Oil Network. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and me, Anat Shanker Osorio. Our theme music was written by T.R. Ritchie, produced and arranged by Dan Leone. To find out more about CR Libre de Perforación, check out crlibredeperforacion.org. To find out more about this and any of our episodes, go to wordstowinby-pod.com. If your words don't spread, they don't work. So please let others know and rate and review the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yo sé que no es fácil hacer una entrevista en otro idioma, que no es tu primer idioma, pero lo... Fuiste excelente. Claro, muchas gracias, más bien. No, a ti, a ti. Espero que haya estado interesante algunas cosas, no sé. Sí, No claro sé si me desvié mucho, sí. lo siento. Ay, mira, es, es nuestra culpa que vivimos en un país donde no podemos solo sacar todo en español. A song is somewhere to begin To search for something worth believing in If changes are to come, there are things that must be done. And a song is somewhere to begin.